All right, Carol has an announcement. And uh, was there feedback last week on the old microphone? I don't remember. So hopefully it won't be in this week. All right, Carol, do you want to use the microphone? Um, or should we all be real quiet? That's all right. <clears throat> Excuse me. My first of probably many Christmas sharing announcements. Um, already I noticed we have one thing that we're really low on. Every year we like to give each family a jug, not a little jug, but a good-sized jug, of laundry detergent. We're really short this year. I guess, I guess Barbara has a warehouse of laundry detergent, apparently. No, but I just want everybody, to, I want everybody to know that, but if, you know, because we'll need, we need about 100. A hundred. So, you know, if you're out and you want to. What, how many ounces do you say? Like the really big ones? No, no, no. The one that you can still hold with your hand. Yeah, the one, what is it, 60? That, that's it. The one you actually have to pour versus the one you poop. Yeah. Yeah. And no pods. Is that a reference to what's happening in January? Never mind, that was a bad joke, no, but I got that. No, no. It's just that. Terrible. With little kids and... You got what I meant there, Kathy? Okay. A lot of our families are still... English is not their first language. <laughs> Regular detergent is better than pods. <laughs> yes, pods. Can I just say something, too? Um, the quilters every year for Christmas sharing make some stockings that we put in some of the food boxes oh, that, yeah, we, that we fill. Nobody has any leftover Halloween candy that they don't want to eat. If you want to bring it next Friday, we'll, we'll use it to, to stuff the stuff. Right. Is it really? No one's going to be out. More candy for my kids. Yeah, I, I think three years ago it, it poured like at 4 o'clock. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And we went out in the rain, and we just, we, I think we went like two blocks, and our pillowcases were completely full because everyone thought, no one's coming out tonight. And then we get back to our house, and it stops raining. <laughs> of course, my kids were like, let's go out more. We're, no. Okay. All right. So, a um, couple housekeeping items. Over in the back there on the counter, we have a yellow notepad. That's for attendance. If you want to sign it, that would be great. I, one of these days, I, we will. I, you know, the, the attendance sheets in previous years just magically appear. I have no idea how that happens. So, well, not Carol. Carol Tony's, yeah. I don't. No, no, no. She didn't. Definitely didn't print them out. She might have brought them down from upstairs, but. So we have a yellow notepad. It's, it's great. Uh, just like you know, King David did. We we keep track of people. You know, well, never mind. It's, keeping track of people was a great sin in the Old Testament. So the Lord's always been against Big Brother from the beginning. So just FYI. 
Okay, uh, the other thing is, is that if you're gone last week, I have a couple other copies of the meditations. This is our new one. If you want to pick one up, they're over there. And then, oh, then today's little uh, discussion guide thing is over there, too. Okay, great. No, the one back there is from last week in case you were gone and you didn't get it. I will pass out a new one because I did not want to happen what you almost made happen. I want no confusion. Okay. All right. So, Katharina Regina von Greifenberg. Um, interesting lady. She's a noblewoman from Austria, lost everything. In her life, her family, husband, sister, her house and home. So um, I just want to keep that in the back of our minds when we think about some of her meditations. But also, too, uh, I just was asked about meditating, just my own little practice. So take it for what it's worth. But I was asked, hey, you know, Pastor, you said you meditate when you run. Uh, Do you like... Do you meditate on a picture? Like, do you look at a, you know, like a image before you go for a run, or how does that all work? Uh, very rarely will I look at, like, it'll be a, I'll be meditating on an image. Most of the time, it's either a Bible passage, a person, like a prayer person situation, um, or it could be, I think, what I said last week. You know that straight. That fun line that she said where, actually I wrote it, wrote it down. Um, in short, his love was longer than eternity, deeper than the abyss, and hotter than hell, and higher than heaven. I love that line. So I was thinking about that. Okay. Um, now, I asked this person what they think about when they exercise. They said grocery list. <laughs> so, just to reiterate, we... Medi- we are, everyone meditates. Everybody meditates. It's just the question of what you're meditating on, okay? Um, and so that's part of our task, is to help us keep our hearts and minds on the one thing that's most important. And then that doesn't mean we ignore the rest of it. It's just that it helps reorient ourselves. By the way, yeah, I just mentioned this in the chapel. Sensory deprivation pools. Anybody ever heard of these? We just talked about it, Shirley. Of course you did. Did you hear about it before that? Oh, okay. All right, all right. Yeah, I was like, wait, that doesn't count, Shirley. Okay. (laughs) Oh, does he? Okay. Um. Sleep de- or uh, not sleep deprivation, sensory deprivation, which means that you are trying to completely disengage your senses. So it's like a pool. It's not very deep. Uh, it's a room that's completely dark. So even if your eyes are open, you can't see anything. You can't hear anything. I mean, it's it's just like, and it's it's uh, really about disengaging from the kind of the chaos of the beeps and the buzzes and just everything going on. So, it's a growth industry, so I've been told. These, quote, I, I think they're called clinics. I don't, I don't know what they're called. Pools? Opening up. But anyways, but the whole point, though, is that 
people are unable to meditate, in a sense, because they are so fractured that they, can, they can't even think about things, one thing. It's kind of crazy. So that is, again, you know, part of why we're doing what we're doing, is that um, you know, it's so easy to not, I mean, to get kind of caught up in the, the, the whirlwind that we, we kind of forget to listen to, to God. All right, so that, that is a, just a, a little bit of a review from last week. I do want to turn into our Bibles to Luke chapter 8 very quickly. Luke chapter 8 is the parable of the sower. Um, and Luke has a, has a distinctive way of telling this story. So this is you know, something that's in the other Gospels as well. But he has a, has a specific way of, of teaching it. Now, first of all, did I get it right? Yeah, eight, eight, Luke 8, 4 through 15. Sometimes when I put the Bible verses on in my little handout, it's from memory. And we noticed last week that it worked, but it wasn't the right one I was thinking of. So this one actually is correct, yes. Luke 8, 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering and the people from town after town came to Jesus, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. All right. So, oops. Now, what was the picture, the first picture? Uh, Yeah, I know it's the woman erasing everything but the cross, but what's the other one? Okay, never mind then. So this one has a big hand throwing seed. This for next week. Seed on on um, in the, in the field. So the reason why Luke eight is really kind of helpful for us is because this has been kind of a text about hearing God's word. So, anyways, you can have, when you when you read this for next week, you can have Luke chapter eight in the back of your mind. But. Um, so, the, you know, the parable of the sower is hearing the word, retaining the word, and the word, of course, is in the heart. So the heart is the seabed. Now, if you don't know anything about gardening, 
Maybe we can talk about it later. But, um, you know, it's, it's this place prepped for the seed, seedbed, okay? So by meditation, the disciple receives God's word, keeps it in her heart. The life-giving word changes the desolate heart into a fruitful bed. Um, the word makes the heart receptive to itself and increases its receptivity. However, it does not come immediately, hence Luke stresses patience. That's how it ends uh, with patience. So this, this is kind of a, an ongoing process. It's not easy. You're, I mean, if anyone gardens, you know you have to battle. You've got to battle those weeds, those rabbits. So, anyways, it's, it's something that has to, you have to be engaged in. You have to be present. So, God's a gardener. We're the soil. God tills our hearts. And I, I love that image. So, it's this understanding that your life is changing. I mean, this is one of these things where when we, uh, you know, when we, oh, it sounds great to meditate on God's word, meditate upon the crucifixion, God's love. Oh, you know, we think about, maybe the end or what we see as as the end goal of someone just kind of in contentness but it's not it's not like it's not magic i mean you just don't get there you you actually have to spend time and um as psalm 2 we read in chapel uh, fear and trembling is involved okay there's this you are learning, you're growing, and it's hard and it's scary at times, but you know that God is actually tilling the soil of your heart. You all know what till has to be done, right? What has to happen to the ground? Yeah, it's, it's sort of violent, or it has to be broken. The soil has to be broken. Okay? So. Well, the parable of the sower sounds really nice. There's also kind of a ugh, tough thing about it. All right. Um, but the thing is, though, is that we have faith in the fact that God's word is actually doing something to us. So we keep doing it. So we walk by faith, not by sight. So you might say to yourself, I don't, I don't seem to be any, quote, unquote, better. But again, then, once you say that, who are you meditating upon now? Yourself and not upon Jesus. So this is where when we go for a jog, the question isn't whether I'm going to be thinking about what I got to do when I get home tonight and this weekend. You know, am I going to be thinking about that or am I going to be thinking about something else that I should be thinking about? All right. Um, but, but one of the great things, too, is, and this goes back to uh, Katharina Regina von Griffenberg's life, is that she writes these, I, I think, very kind of poetic and beautiful meditations, even in the midst of her life being completely crazy. You know, the bank, well, creditors are trying to take her house, her family's sick. I mean, just, it's it's crazy. So she is a good example of for us how the Holy Spirit through God's word shines 
this light of God or light of Christ in her, and then that kind of illuminates the rest of life to see that God is working in the midst of it all. Okay, great. So I want, I want us to keep thinking about this. All right. I am not going to talk about the basic structure of the meditations, but remember there's an emblem, poet, poem, scripture, and then the actual meditation itself. So for those who were able to spend a little time, well, first of all, Matthew 26, 1 through 13, I believe, was the text of the Bible that she was meditating upon. But we know it wasn't just Matthew because she mentions um, Nard. Oh, here, let's just read the Bible. Then, we'll... then I want to hear your reactions. I've already, Carol's already got a reaction. She already told me a reaction earlier. So, All right. Matthew 26. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming. And the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body... She has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Okay. So that's the text that Griffenberg uh, Griffenberg is uh, meditating upon. She does incorporate some details from other gospels, like the use of nard. It just says expensive ointment. But in the Gospel of John, it specifically says nard. But does anyone use nard as a perfume by chance? I, I probably not. Because it is very expensive. Like real nard. Um, a few years ago, I, I mentioned nard in the Song of Songs. Okay, It's in the Song of Solomon. Uh, and I was in a class for a week long, and the, and the, the teacher had real nard, like real, real nard. And he poured out just, I mean, I don't know, drops of it. And the, the smell of the nard lasted the whole week in the class. So this is a very powerful, expensive uh, smell. Okay, anyways, any reactions? Anybody want to be brave enough to talk about, if you had a chance to read it last week, Greifenberg's Meditations? Any reactions to it? Barb. I remember when she kept talking about the crucifixion. Yeah. And it was like, just go down and on. Yeah. I could go, it's like, okay. Yeah, right. And she brought up this 
message, and I just keep thinking about this all the time. She brought up this yeah. love. Yeah. That he went joyfully to the cross. Yeah. All he was thinking about was how he was going to be saving all of us. He right. He didn't even think about his pain or what he was going to go through. He was yeah. about the joke, what he was doing for us, and it was like, well, it just kind of blew my mind, and it's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think, okay, so a lot of us will be like, oh, yeah, of course he loves us, and he did it to love us. Um, the thing about what Barbara's saying is that she spent a lot of time with it. She let it sit. And that is something I think that we, in our lives, right, we rush, we rush too much. As if we just need to get this nugget of something, and then we can kind of move on. But she, so we'll, this will be a very common theme. So thank you for bringing this up right away. She, well, like for instance, this next meditation, it's, it's pretty long because um, she spends a lot of time with it. And she really thinks about things. So one of the things she thinks about, obviously, is coming from Christ's perspective. She'll, she'll think about like what is driving him but not speculative. I mean, she ground, grinds, grounds every, all of her thoughts within Holy Scripture. So there is, it's pretty saturated. Now, the other thing is that um, she will uh, describe what that love is. Very kind of earthy. Very earthy. So, for instance, well, let me backtrack real quick. Um, I know I still did not get the page numbers on your handout, so. But she is, um, there's a great, a great paragraph about Jesus' goodwill. That is um, what Barbara's describing. How um, all he is interested in is ours, our goodwill. So if there happens to be a page number, it's page 63, it's, it's uh, towards the beginning. There is a middle page where it says, On the supremely holy and supremely selfific suffering of Jesus, first meditation. Second full sentence, his loving thoughts were to gain for us joy through his suffering, pleasure through his pain, and the crown through his cross. And then you just look at the the ending there. His misery thus meant less to him than our joy. So actually what's interesting, there's a variety of things that are very interesting about this paragraph, not only what Barb has mentioned, but the notion of what benevolence means or goodwill Jesus, so this is what he's, she's actually uh, drawing upon the first, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, the second. When you love your neighbor as yourself, you, that's, that's what she's describing in Jesus. She's, he's loving you as himself. So his misery does not compare to his desire for your joy. So he's completely, you know, putting himself second. Uh, 
which seems kind of like mundane kind of stuff, right? Like, oh, don't we learn this in, in like kindergarten at Sunday school? He loved us more than, you know, he went to the cross to die for our sins. It's just that Griffinberg spends so much time with it that it really flushes it out and describe it. Right. And as you mind it, so this is another thing too about love, as you, as you, as you spend more time with it and you mine it, there's not less of it. There's more of it. One sec- and then Donna, once, uh, so on page 66, he, she goes, I don't, it, it's on the top of, I don't know, if you, again, if you have it. It's right above where it says, you know he said that after two days the Passover is coming. There is a, there's a sentence here. His divine nature, which, he, which gave him the strength to suffer, took from his human nature none of the sensation of pain that is peculiar to it, but instead increased the anticipatory fear of this pain through foreknowledge of it. Uh, but that is like, that's really like deep um, two natures of Christ meditate. I mean, when I read that, I was like, oh, wow, that's, that's like you learn that in seminary. So that's kind of the extent of what Barb is getting at is that. All right. Anyways, the whole point is, is that the more time you spend with it, the more you see, and the more you can actually then, well, as Barb said, rabbit hole. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, you just you, you keep you keep going. Donna, what were you going to say? Um, you know, we visit a lot of people that are hungry. Yeah, yeah. And near death sometimes. And when I read that statement, his misery thus meant less to, to him than, than our joy. Right. So I'm going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, so this is uh, uh, Christians should die in a way that's commiserate with the way they lived. Um, so death is not a unique stage, but an extension of the way you live. Because every day, what do we do? We should take up our cross and follow Jesus. Small catechism. What do we do every day? We make the sign of the cross, remembering what? Our baptisms, to which what we have what have we done in our baptisms? We've died and rose again. So this is something where uh, so the saints are very helpful for us in this respect, Anna. Because as we read the Bible, our Sinful temptation is to think that the Bible is describing people unlike us. But it's not. And there's real people, hopefully, in our life that are like living testimonies to the Bible. So that you see someone dying and you say they are like Jesus because they're dying in a way that's commiserate with the way they've lived. Um, and that is, that's what we pray for. I, I left my, my hymnal somewhere. It's lying around here somewhere. Uh, in the Great Litany, we actually pray for that. 
We pray that we, I think I mentioned this before, we, we, don't, we, we don't want a sudden death. I know everybody wants to die in their sleep with the, in the unfeeling and want it to be quick. But in the Great Litany, we actually ask God to, to help us not die quickly. Because of the chance to witness to the love and care of him. Oh, thank you. I think the old Anglican, uh, and I have never, I don't know why I don't, I always think about it when it's not easy for me to look up, but I, I, in the old red hymnal, it might have it um, uh, different. But it, it, it all comes from the Anglican hymnal. And so we say, oh, Lord, have mercy, oh, Christ, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then the first extensive petition from all sin, from all error, from all evil, from the crafts and assaults of the devil, from sudden, sudden and evil death. Isn't that crazy? It's so interesting. Um, so, yeah, Donna, great. Way to apply it. You're, you're, you're thinking about your life as it connects to Jesus' suffering. And that's what Griffinberg is doing. Any other reactions? I, I got so many reactions that, you know. Yeah, Carol. Uh, what I had shared, I just said, to me, this is difficult to read. <laughs> yeah, it is difficult. It can be and it can't be. Um, in that, well, one, I shouldn't read it at night when I'm in bed because I'm all asleep right now. <laughs> but even if I, in the middle of the day, you read it and it's words, mm-hmm. and then... It's a meditation in and of itself. Right. Because mm-hmm. on that same page 66. Yeah. That um, the next paragraph down. Oh, yeah, sure. I realize she's talking about here's Christ. That's right. Good job. Created the world. Uh huh. And now, you know, we're saying that the world is Right. Yeah, right. Are now going to be drowned in my blood. Yeah, ooh. And it just I love that line. And, to, you know, it's like, I can reread that again. <laughs> and again. That's right. Great job. That, that is a great paragraph in this meditation. So she does, so these are interesting things about these Germans at this time. There's also another theologian, Johann Gerhold Heyman, who writes about, so, so he writes about um, the mystery of Jesus and mystery of God. And what he'll do is he'll write, he'll write words that you can, like everyone will be able to write, read those words. But he writes it in such an obscure way that he's actually mimicking what he's talking about, the mystery. So God's a mystery. So he'll write a paragraph describing God, and at the end of the paragraph, you're like, I have no idea what he just said. <laughs> and it's not because it's complex. It's because he writes in a way that's obscure. It's, it's fascinating that he actually, he actually does what he is trying to describe. So this is the same with Griffin, Griffinberg here. You're reading it, and if you're reading it too fast, you might miss the fact that she's using the first-person pronoun. And then you're like, wait, is she talking about herself? Oh, wait, she's 
putting herself in the place of Jesus. So what does that make you do? As Carol just said, ah, I got to go back and reread that. What does that mean when you go back and reread that? That is a sign of meditation. Genius. Isn't that great? I did the same thing, Carol. And you, you'll, you'll find yourself, now that you're more aware of it, you're kind of like, oh, wait, I know she's up a little trick. She's not being tricky. But, um, yeah, great. Great noticing that. Because then the next paragraph, or I'm sorry, the bottom of that page, she'll switch back. She'll switch back to herself. Yeah, really cool. Barb. Well, I had highlighted a sentence in there <clears throat> which kind of says that. So expand your hearts and imagine nothing more than heavenly delights that I intend to gain for you through hellish torture. Oh, I love that line too. <laughs> and it just highlights that. Oh, dynamite. Expand your hearts and imagine nothing. So one of the things that uh, Greffenberg is constantly trying to do is expand your imagination. That's intentional. She is trying to get you to think bigger or more unique, uniquer, you know, more unique, just kind of different. And so because she believes that is if you expand your heart and mind, God will fill that space. Yeah. There's... Uh, hmm. So part of the imagination, too, is already exemplified in, in what the above paragraph. She imagines Jesus saying these things about the Red Sea and being drowned in the blood. Um, by the way, that's a, that's a sign of typology. She understands that Jesus is in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. I mean, so she's already, she, she's working under this uh, imp- um, view of typology in that paragraph. It's really. Isn't everything? I mean, we say that in words all the time. That's right. Do we really think about what that means? Yeah, no, exactly. So much so, well, we'll maybe talk more about this later. Maybe we won't talk about it at all. Is, um, she will, I don't know if you guys notice this either, but she will sometimes be talking about Jesus but using a unique pronoun, the feminine pronoun, because she will call Jesus wisdom. And wisdom in Hebrew, and I think in German, is feminine. So she's, again, she's not going to, so this is kind of funny. She's not twisting the language, <laughs> which is kind of, kind of what we do now to make sure that no one's offended. She lets that sit. She lets it sit there and say, whoa, wait, what, what's that going to make you do as you think about calling Jesus wisdom. The other thing, too, and this is actually something that's in the Middle Ages, we'll definitely talk about this when we talk about the Incarnation, is that there's maternal descriptions of Jesus. You get a little bit of it in here, but um, you'll, you'll, well, did anybody notice? <laughs> Never mind. Just, any other reactions? We're definitely going to come back to one of them. All right, Kathy. Well, first, I really liked it that she talked about how she was just distracted a lot. <laughs> because I keep thinking, oh, I can only just have a room, and I right. didn't have to, you know, yep. anything, or cook or something, or, you know, babysit or whatever. And she's going, well, I was 
sometimes interrupted with various and sundry and paying little calls, going on trips and to parties. I mean, she just says, so I was like, okay. And I hardly had a day yep. or many days, hardly an hour to work on this. So I'm going to let, you know, a wise man judge if anything good should have been written like this. You know? So it was very, it was such a relief to yeah, right. Otherwise, it's like, oh, she's so bitter. Yeah, right. She wrote a book. Yeah, right. So piecemeal, she's writing this. Yeah. And uh, so this this is a great, yeah, so we never talked about this, but she, so she was compelled to write this because someone had been talking to her about her meditations, and they're like, holy smokes, people need to hear this. But so she didn't have it written down until she was compelled to. Yeah. And then trying to actually write it down in the midst of her life was hard. And then she, she talks about how Jesus is the Godhead's exposed being. Mm. I really like that. And saying then later, Christ broke the temple of his holy body. Yeah. He was broken to erect the heavenly Jerusalem and pour out his spirit on us. Yeah. And she says, may I smell the balm of thy womb. Whoa, saints preserve. And then... <laughs> Very earthy. says, let the jar of my life be broken. Right. At whatever moment it may please you. So we... So he... What page are you... Well, uh, I'm sorry. I should probably... I know where this is at. Hang on. Let me... Oh, I can't believe how many... Uh... Page numbers made it in there. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The left side. Good. Okay. And then she says, "Pour so I bomb is poured out love to Jesus and mercy for others that it would be painful to hold it in like That's page 70. Milk. I know. I love that. Where is this going? Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> I you know I I can't I can't speak of that firsthand, but this is well I did I think I think I, I never got rid of like my, my underlines in your handout. I just made copies of my underlines, so you probably saw it. Hurts me as does milk a mother, and it pains me that I must hold it in. O oh, eternal, marvelous wisdom, anoint my spirit with heavenly influx and angelic effusions, so that with the power of imagination, I can seize the desire to praise that was conceived in my heart and draw it upward. And then with reason and memory, purifies to still and resolve it in glorious words of praise. So, I mean, it's it's... First of all, a very powerful image. It's very powerful. That was, yeah. But this is also, too, something that she does, and I mentioned this earlier. She, the body, whether it's Jesus' body or her own, her own body, is part of her language. Now, I've been thinking about this, speaking of meditating. Holly's not here today. Daphne's sick, so... Um, I just, you know, the women's bo- a woman's body is fascinating. I mean, men are very simple. I mean, there's been, you know, a few births in the congregation, and, you know, just, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. It's extraordinary. Now, the thing is, I, I was thinking about this, but, you know, at, at the same time, you know, women think about their bodies all the time. 
And the thing is, is that that's probably right. That's, that's probably the right thing because of the way God made them. <laughs> and, and so what Griffenberg does, Greifenberg, whatever, I, I got to wait. If Krista comes back to actually correct me on this. I think it's Greifenberg, but I always say Griffenberg. But um, how she, she you know, thinks about her body in relation to Jesus and how even her body is being swept up into this love of Jesus and now becomes a testimony of, of her faith. In an you know, unusual way. I mean, not unusual. Not a very common way. We don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever read that before in all my reading. I've read, I don't know how many books I've read, thousands, whatever, Theolog- theological books. I've never, ever read something like that. And it's mainly because guys, guys don't think that way. Yeah. Um, did she have children? She did not. This is why it's even, even, even more remarkable. So Julie, yeah, she had no children. Um, this is where, again, I find her so fascinating because she is so empathetic. She is a woman who loves other women in a way that is, is just extraordinary. So she has no children. Um, we will read later. She has a, a song of praise to chastity. And she was married. And I just, I just am like, maybe she was chaste even in marriage. I mean, she's extraordinarily unusual in that respect. But she had no children, but yet she was able to, to write with such profoundness. As if she experiences herself. So, that, I mean, that takes a really listening ear, someone who's willing to listen to others and then incorporate their stories into her own life. Again, but she's already doing that with what? With Christ and God's word. And so she's applying this into others. I mean, it's really, it's, I think it's, it's fantastic. Uh, one thing, Donna, is uh, Kathy brought up. Names of Jesus, as you read it, pay attention. There are lots of names. I, I, just, I had a list of, I wrote a bunch of list names here with their page numbers. But I didn't actually go through. These are ones that I just kind of, kind of made no mental note of. Bridegroom of my soul. Again, that's a Song of Solomon reference. Treasure of my soul, delight, ecstasy of my soul. Again, those are all um, Song of Solomon references. She calls him hero, prince of eternity, hero of wounds and wonders. Love that phrase. Uh, she calls him sweetest, my sweetest. Arch wonder. I love that phrase. Most precious one, wisdom, omniscient guardian. Propagator of desire. <laughs> I love that one too. <laughs> um, elect seed of woman, my Shiloh. So um, pay attention to the names because I think that is really great for us, especially in our prayers. Because we think about, now we do this in church. So you listen to our prayers. We'll have 
you know, a name of Jesus when we introduce prayer, you know, for, for persecuted Christians, old crucified one, or whatever. Um, I've talked about Bruzek to see if we can use some of these, but we usually try to get them from the Bible, so... I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're all from the Bible. But, uh, but, so we wouldn't be able to use some of these. But, um, but the whole point, though, is, is that the name of Jesus, or I'm sorry, Jesus, Jesus, his name, his actions, and who he is, these are all like, they're all the same. They all work in concert with one another. So she uses these things that he does and then makes a name out of it, um, which I think is pretty cool, especially propagator of my, of my desire. Love that phrase. Because don't you want Jesus' desires too? Man, that's so great. Your desires be my desires, Lord. Oof. All right, Donna. Uh, on page 71. Yeah. She's talking, and she quotes uh, what was said when she talks about the woman that anointed Jesus. Yes. Do not trouble the woman. Yes. Uh, well, um, it just in the Matthew text, it's just um, just anybody. Yeah. On page seventy-two. Yep. She says, "The Lord added sweet for me to you when the world is sells me, sitting under like this." Yep. Say this same for me too. Oh, guardian. Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? So she's yes, Lord Jesus. Jesus, and then she prays. Yeah. She, she reads the word, and then she prays it. Okay, great. Great job, Donna. Another thing that she does in the reading. This is why it's hard. Like Carol said, Carol's right. I mean, this is kind of a weird, this is a weird reading. It's not typical. It's not your portals of prayer kind of reading. No. But yeah, so this is exactly right, Donna. She will say something, and then she'll just kind of turn into a prayer. So, um... Pay attention to that next time for you guys because then that would be helpful for you to say, well, why does she do this? Ooh, maybe I have the same prayer. Maybe that's – so I underlined that specifically because <laughs> I, I, that's exactly what I, I want. I want Jesus to advocate for me and say, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? I mean, that would be great if Jesus – oh, and I think – hang on real quick. And I – um you go back to 71, let the woman be completely silent so that the eternal word can say a word on her behalf. Oh, that is so good. Yeah. I, I will be quiet if Jesus speaks for me. It's so great. All right, Aaron. When I was reading the scripture prayer to you, I think it was encouraging thinking about that part that the people that were being critical and we're wrong. Right. According to Jesus. Yeah. Which is a good guy. I know. It's not even like, I mean, obviously there's the really bad guys. Yeah. And like the most in you can see. That's right. Disciples, the best people. Yeah. Like all of them are wrong and only she is right and only God, Jesus is speaking for. Right. And it's sort of like, oh, this is, they're like, they're totally unfair to her. Yeah. Totally wrong and missing the point. Right. And it's like, yeah. There's another section in the Bible that Jesus almost does the same thing. Uh, passage, section, passage. 
where Jesus is indignant and the disciples try to speak for it. Yes. Yes. So we, we do this at baptisms. Bringing little children. Of course, who, most likely they're in whose arms? Women's arms. So, I mean, you have this great image of mother, child coming to Jesus, disciples saying no, Jesus getting indignant. It means like fiery, angry, which, did I put that in the quote? Jesus gets fiery. (laughs) Um, uh, And then he speaks for them. And when he speaks, it happens. So, um, I mean, I think that's just, Oof, it's great. I don't know if I put that in there. Oh, yeah. Well, I, yeah. So it's on page 70. It's right after the mother's milk. Oh, stoutly heat up the spirit with spirit and power so that it becomes fiery and flaming, even if the fragile. So there's this, yeah, Christ's love is fiery. It's hotter than hell. That's right. I'm still trying to figure out how I can say that in front of my kids and be like, them that, Dad, don't say that. All right, we'll, we'll figure that out later. But, um, great, Carol. Back on page, yes. Um, again, she's, she's thinking distribution. She, she does a lot of I'll call it compare and contrast. Reversals, yes. Yep, that's exactly what she does. Great struck me, I mean, after all these years, with God's magnificent timing. Mm-hmm. I was talking about the spring, I'm thinking, oh, the Exodus must have been in the spring of the year also. Right. But she, I mean, he's talking about, well, I'm not going to be able to celebrate, while I'm celebrating this, I'm not going to be able to celebrate it. Right. This, not going to be able to right. And then, um, this is, and to be sure, yep. it's in the middle of the paragraph. And to be sure, I shall wither in the loveliest season when the sap runs and everything turns green. Yep. And it's just, here's the Creator knowing and thinking he's going to be dying when the world that he created is turning green and coming to life after winter. She's making reference to 66 and 67. Yes, she will, this will be a very common thing she writes about, or she uses as kind of a memory or meditation tool. Is, uh, I, I wrote them as contraries or opposites, dialectical, but she, on page 66, oh, arch wonder of the divine art of reversal. Yeah. So, using what's foolish in the world to show what's wise. Yeah, so this... Sentence following sentence after what you just read. Yeah, yeah exactly. They thought they'd destroy salvation. Mm-hmm. Thereby gave cause for it to be preserved. I, it, it's it, that's something that's really great because then that helps us again, kind of interpret life when we really think it can't get any worse. 
perhaps this is the part where God shines the most. Yeah. Um, yeah. Super great. All right. Uh, any, we're going to, I think, I mean, so, he, oh, one last thing. She likes, she really is an advocate for w- women, of course. We already talked about how she uh, makes note of Jesus, Jesus advocating. Um, but on page 75, I, I really like, uh, there's another one on 69 too, but the, uh, since the enunciation of the conception of his holy body had been to a woman, thus his death and immortality of this same body were to be announced through a woman as well. The most, I don't know, I have no idea why I have an eight there. The most high is accustomed to carry out and end his works as he began them. Therefore, the resurrection also had to be proclaimed first through a woman so that we would see that the Almighty intended to use women folk at the beginning, middle, and end as the most faithful servants of the heart. And by no means did he exclude them from the most important business of the kingdom of heaven. For this and for all other undeserved grace, I thank thee, thou Almighty Savior. <laughs> I love that. So, again, she's really, I mean, this is great because uh, she's a firm believer in what we talked about last week. The mandate in Genesis 1, where God gave male and female to have dominion over creation. So, this is, she's exercising this. Um, We'll see that more. But I I think she kind of goes away from it as we go further on, because it just becomes kind of just obvious. Especially as she talks about the incarnation and the birth of Jesus. And, of course, women are going to be better at talking about that because men don't birth babies. So uh, I think she, she kind of gets away from, like, making a special note of that. So, anyways, I wanted to point that out because I think it's great. I love it. Um, I have some of my fun lines right there. I think we actually mentioned all of them. Anybody else have anything one last thing to say before we this is, a, this is kind of like a book club Bible study I know Gabby I really like that she uh, she talked about her motiva- motivation for writing that it comes from Christ that he lends, lends it soundness and importance that not only the content, but the manner of writing. Right. His, and that it's just a tiny spark becomes a volcanic explosion. I, you can see that just one little sentence. Right. The scripture, and it becomes page 60. Yeah, right. Six and 67. Yeah. All that from in two days, the Passover's coming. I've read that many times. I just thought it was exposition. In two days, the Passover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then she says, selecting me the words sing your praise. Yep. So it's not, it's always about him, not about her. And it made me think of Mother Teresa saying that she was a pencil in the hand of God, that it's yeah. just waiting for you to select the words. To, and as someone who's uh, done lots of writing in my adult life, usually, you know, PR stuff, but 
that was very meaningful to me. Yeah. I, I, it's great. Yep. So I, I'll say this very quickly. Um, one of the other things that I, I was interested in doing, doing this is because if you, if anyone picks up like a Bible commentary, there'll be a lot of words written about just a phrase or two of the Bible. But yet, not like this. So this is really this is really something I want you guys to think about is how she, because of God's word and her life, is able to apply all the, these biblical imageries, these doctrines, in a way that really expounds life itself. A Bible commentary is I mean I, I like reading Bible commentaries. It's very helpful. There's a lot of information in there, but yet. If you read a Bible commentary, it's really about your head and not so much about your heart. And her meditations really combines both of them in a way that's kind of unique. Um, somewhat dated, uh, when we read later, you'll be wondering, you'll be like, oh yeah, that's, we know more about science than she does. You know, um, yeah, so, but still, pretty, pretty great. All right, so, uh, here are, we'll pray, and then we'll send you on your way. This is next week's, this is just one meditation. It's the 12th. It's the final one. So um, the, the Bible verses are already in here. I think it says, yeah, it says, it says on the top of the page 118. So I don't have, just read those Bible verses along with this. Um, You'll see some of the same themes, but there'll be some newer ones in, in this. Uh, we'll have a whole new set of things to talk about next week. But again, all I want you to do is, is read the Bible, think about it, meditate, and then if you get a chance to kind of meditate with uh, Greifenberg, because hopefully her meditations will help you meditate, and her imaginations will help you expand your heart. Uh, and you don't have to, I mean, you could be like, hey, Pastor, this is weird. I mean, the whole breast, exploding breasts, that's weird, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't. that's okay. It should be kind of weird. It is weird. <laughs> it's not weird, though. That's exactly right. It's, it's, that's just what happens, right? So, anyway, but um, you will, like, so for instance, well, no, I'll just, I'll just yeah, we'll stop. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.